right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Is it Friday yet? <laughs> My name is Wes Fryer. I am so happy to be here, and uh, I might get to come back in the fall, too. Um, so we don't know exactly. I've contracted with UConn through May. We're going to have an end-of-June media camp, which we'll be announcing here soon. And uh, I've been a coach for Common Core, but a lot of media integration. And as I talked with Kathy about ideas for workshops and things to offer, she said, why don't you do something that's really basic, that's a beginner, just kind of talking about terminology and devices and something that is not intermediate or advanced, just something you know geared for beginners and geared for a lot of questions. So that's where we are today. I hope you've come for that. Uh, we are going to do a little bingo. I'm going to put a $25 iTunes gift card on the table. Um, and so to kind of get us started, we may have a couple more folks join us. Uh, you've heard of BYOD. Turn maybe or maybe not. Turn to your neighbor and ask them what they think BYOD means. All right, so we had some good votes. I heard donuts. I heard dummy. <laughs> Dog. Any other votes? Device. device? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Usually it's bring your own device. And we are on the edge. I mean, we're in the middle of tumultuous changes, right? People will say the, the printing press was a big deal, right? It was like into the 1400s, something like that. Radical. You know, think about how Luther got excommunicated. Translating the Bible into the vernacular of German was enough to be, you know, excommunicated from the ruling authority at the time. It was revolutionary to say folks get their own copy, right, in your own language. Now, you know, that same kind of revolution is happening. Come on in. Um, because what's the cost of taking a piece of digital text and sharing it with the world as far as your opportunity cost? It's next to nothing. You have to have a device to make it digital, and you have to have a connection to the Internet. I mean, there's stuff you have to have, but that opportunity cost to be able to share it with somebody else um, you know, is zero. You all know about our Yukon High School student who wrote the, the book. Have you heard this? Um, I, I, didn't actually, I didn't actually put this into the slideshow, um, but today, thanks to Ricky forwarding me the article uh, from the Oklahoman, you know, we have this article about Luke Swanson you know, becoming an ebook author and being able to publish his book. Anybody bought his book? You know how much he's selling it for? How much? Two ninety nine. And did he have to sell it for two ninety nine to recover his costs? Or I mean, he could have picked nine ninety nine, right? He could have picked fourteen ninety nine. He could have picked ninety nine cents. You know, how crazy is that to live in a day where literally any of us—high school student, middle school student, teacher. Any of us can write something and make what we've written available to the world. And we've been able to do that with making websites, but it seems a little different with a book. You know, the book um, has a finality to it, and I don't know, I've had some of my best learning from books, right? And I just am... am um, really excited about this time that we're in, but I'm also feeling a lot of disequilibrium, okay? Because you, every time you turn around, there's something new. Oh, did you hear about this? Did you hear about this? I teach a Sunday school class at our church for sixth graders, and I hadn't had this happen, but about three weeks ago, I really felt like the idiot because what was the uh, youth uh, 
soldier movie that made the bu- that it was the buzz and all the kids had watched. You know what I'm talking about? It was in Africa. What was it? Yeah, what was the what was it? No, it wasn't the Hunger Games, but it was a video about. Yeah, so I hadn't seen that video, and you would have thought I was the biggest idiot because all these kids, what? You haven't seen that video? And it was like, no, I didn't look at that one yet, you know? I mean, so I'm, you know, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have or how much time you spend in front of a screen, so many things are changing so fast. I don't think any of us can avoid disequilibrium and this feeling like, oh my gosh, slow down a little bit. So while we can all publish things online and we can share things, we're also educationally on the edge of this really crazy idea that every single student is going to have a device that can not only access content so they can read it, watch it, listen to it, but they could also produce or create content. Can you think of any challenges which this will pose to us in education? BYOD? Some people will say we don't have a job. Now, I was actually uh, Thursday and Friday at our state superintendent's digital learning summit, which was called, and um, I won't digress at length about that, but there are some folks, I'll say this, that that definitely have a vision of education and learning that doesn't require many teachers in the building. And that's been a threat, so to speak, for a while with education. You know, there are pictures, and I don't have that in the slide deck, of uh, after the invention of the record player, where the vision was all the kids just plugged in, listening to the record. You know, we were, we were just going to perfectly transmit the lecture or the symphony or whatever it was we were listening. And, you know, that particular revolution didn't happen. Um, We do have the opportunity to learn a lot online, but I personally think it's a fallacy that we can simply give students of any age, any situation, a a device, an Internet connection, and woohoo, off you go. You can teach yourself anything. Well, it's true you can, but do you want to? Are you motivated to? And then is it accurate information? And, I mean, there are things that we need to learn that you're not going to necessarily choose to learn and be self-motivated to do. So it's a very interesting day, and there is, I mean, we're under siege as as a profession. I mean, we've been under attack for a long time, and part of that attack, you know, would be, oh, let's just commercialize education, you know, let let these commercial vendors come in and sell virtual school to kids, and then, you know, do away with teachers. Um, I think we've got a big fight on our hands for that. But that's part of the conversation. And part of the questions that people do have are, you know, what, what do, where do I want to send my child? I don't think a majority of parents today want to send their children to a, a school where there is, like, you know, let's say one teacher for 100 kids or something like that, or just be online. They, there are folks that want to do that. And whether we like it or not, our state is saying schools have to provide that as an option. I think there can be benefits to that. You know, if kids want to take Mandarin Chinese, if if your child wants to take digital photography, you know, enhancement, enrichment, or maybe they just they they didn't get Algebra One, um, you know, with the traditional modality, maybe online is going to be better for them, but maybe it's not. So there's lots of issues with all this. What else would be an issue with bring your own device? Has anybody done that, by the way? Have you had your students? 
because school policy right now says no. Deer Creek, uh, I know, has just changed their board policy for next year to allow that, to allow students to bring their own device. My kids go, my two oldest go to class in SAS downtown, and they can bring a device, but they don't have any internet. So, of course, the kids have learned the password, and they surreptitiously share it, and it's pretty slow. But, you know, what other kinds of issues come up if you say bring a device? Yes, Absolutely. There's a real digital divide. Um, there's a digital divide of access to the devices. There's also a, a digital divide of knowledge. I mean, that's part of the reason we're offering this, too, is to talk about these issues. Because who is the expert when it comes to literacy in our community? We are, right? We're the experts on literacy. And, you know, even the idea of literacy, where do we get our information where do we read it? What are the sources? These things are really, really changing. And so I believe we need to, um, we need to be aware of what these trends are, and we need to have some good comfort with them to be able to talk to parents and to be able, because would you agree fear is a common emotion today with respect to technology? There's a ton of it. And, and in education, too, that's been like the, the, the policy of the government for a while is let's just scare everybody, you know, because if we have enough fear, maybe everybody will get better or something. Um, we are really in an important role in our schools, helping parents, helping students, helping our peers navigate a very confusing and, and very changing environment with respect to all of this. So... Um, just because I say bring a device doesn't mean oh, it's all great. We're all going to have this wonderful learning experience because look around the room. Some of us have devices. Some of us don't. Many of them are different, right? Even the ones that look the same may have different things on them. And um, so differences here. This is a Kindle, right? Um, I have a book here on both devices. This device can view video, and it can allow me to produce video. I can shoot video and create it, whereas this device really is a consumptive device. I can read e-books. I can, I can check email, but I really can't produce media the same way that I do here. So even if I say bring your own device, and what about this? What's this? Digital camera. So, and, you know, most digital cameras let me shoot videos now, but, you know, I can't share that on the internet probably from this device. So we're going to navigate that as a school district here in Yukon. Every school district is going to be navigating this because at some point, whether it's five years down the road, ten years down the road, two years down the road, we are definitely moving in a direction where learning is becoming more digital and folks are going to have devices and, and we're in this place where we don't have them all for students. So how about this for BYOB? I know what you're thinking when I say BYOB, okay? But I'm not talking about a beverage. But bring your own browser is something I've heard some people talk about. Because if you have a web browser, you have the ability to go to a website, the ability to, for instance, go to a Google document and edit and be able to, to write things, that's different than just saying bring a device. Because you might bring a Kindle, you know, which doesn't let you go to... Um, a web browser. So, um, 
I mentioned this in all my workshops because I've given my ebook to the district. I'm recording this, and I'll probably share this online and, and share the link to it, so I won't say it out loud. But if you jot that code down, you can go to the website playingwithmedia.com and either click the ebook link or um, you can go directly to it. And you can just download a free version of my book. It's 15 bucks with the iPad, and the other ones are $10. But one of the things that I am passionate about is helping us become better communicators with media. All of us grew up in the 20th century with 20th century schools. We're all familiar with five-paragraph essays, turning things in in a written form. We are less familiar with creating a project that involves images, recording audio and sharing that, making a video. I mean, those are things we can do now, but we didn't get to do those in school. And even though we say, oh, these younger students, these younger teachers, they're going to know how to do all those things. Well, have you noticed what the teacher education program still looks like, you know, in most of our universities? It's still very traditional. And there's a lot of good things about traditional preparation, but we're in a real big transition time. And I don't know how long it will last, but I do believe we're going to need to learn how to create with media and help our students create with media. So um, I don't have a crystal ball, but one of the things I will predict with a high degree of confidence is that in the next you know, five years in Oklahoma specifically, right here in our district, Discussions about apps and clouds, which are two of the things we'll talk about today, are going to continue and there will be new doors open to your students and to you and to me because of those things, because of these changes. Um, how many of you remember when Microsoft Office and in using Microsoft Office well sort of defined computer literacy? Did you ever take a class on, you know, intro to Word, intro to Excel? When I was teaching fourth grade in, in Lubbock, Texas, don't you know, kill me because I was from Texas for a while. Um, I remember in probably 1997 and 98, we had a new technology director, and that was his big deal, is everyone's going to pass tests about Microsoft Office if they're going to get any technology in their classroom. And so we all had to take these classes, and we literally went and took these tests Introduction to, my, to Word, introduction, or Intermediate Word, uh, you know, Mail Merge. Remember Mail Merge? Okay. Introduction to Excel, Intermediate Excel, Introduction to PowerPoint. Okay. Those things are still important, right? And how many of our kids know how to use spreadsheets and do a formula in a spreadsheet? Not very many. Okay. These things are still important, but there's a lot of other things that are important as well, too. So um, I don't have a crystal ball to predict the future with you know, certainty, but mobile devices are a big game changer. In fact, and if you came in and you still like to get a, a, um, a device, um, we're going to do an activity and I'm going to let you use any resources at your disposal, all right, to include a mobile device if you want, Google if you want, um, because one of the things that I think we're going to need to do is to change some of the assessments that we do in school. I think we still got to memorize our multiplication facts. Why? Because we still have to pass Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Geometry. I mean, if you want to go into a STEM career, guess what? You're going to have to follow that track and take those courses and pass them and, you know, can't really do them very well without your multiplication facts. 
But there are a lot of things that we're being asked to do now, like prepare kids to solve problems, work collaboratively in groups, um, be able to take the initiative. We can't do that with just multiple choice bubble sheet examinations. And that's part of our weird transition time, too. It's like, let's do away with this high-stakes stuff, you know, if you really want us to do these more open-ended assessments. So we're going to... Um, I'm going to use this map. I know, have any of you heard me talk about the Waltz-Mueller map before? I'll use this just as a little bit of a metaphor. Um, well, first off, you have devices. I'm going to give you a minute and a half. I want you to find out whatever you can about the Waltz-Mueller map using resources at your disposal. Okay? And again, if you'd like to check out an iPad here. Okay, my timer went off. Tell me some things you learned about the Waldsmuller map. There's only one. There's only one. It's the map that named America. 1507 is when it was created. That was on the slide. First map to use the name America. First map to use the name America in it. Called America's birth certificate. Say that one again. Presumably housed in the Library of Congress. Yes. It is the most expensive thing the Library of Congress has ever purchased more expensive than an original copy of the Declaration of Independence. This document was purchased, I think it says, for over $10 million. Is that right? Yes, I think. It's based on Ptolemy's... Vision of the world. Ptolemy's map. It is, well, it's a projection. So there were two pieces of it. There was one, I think, that they could fold or put around a sphere. I don't think you call that folding. What do you call that? Rolling, wrapping it. There you go. That you could wrap to make a sphere. And then this was the, this was the projection. Um, as its own separate ocean. Okay. Um, I love geography. It was one of the things I studied as an undergraduate. And there's a phenomenal book based upon this, this called the, uh, the Fourth Part of the World. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this map up is because I think it's a nice metaphor for kind of where we are. Because this particular map, like many old maps that you see, has terra incognita, right? The unknown land. We don't know what's over there. There is a coastline over here, but guess what? No Europeans at the time this was drawn had been over there before, right? No Lewis and Clark, no westward exploration. I mean, in fact, I think this particular map, one of the interesting things about why it's, this is before Balboa supposedly saw the Pacific by crossing the Isthmus of Panama. <laughs> so how do we do that? Well, there's debate about that and how much conjecture there was that, you know, this was an independent continent. Um, it's a compelling story. The first page that many of you brought up, how many of you did bring up Wikipedia by a show of hands? Not everyone did, some did. Hmm, what does that mean about our use of Wikipedia in the classroom? Should we be using it and talking about it at all? I think we should, okay, because it is a very relevant source. Does it mean everything we find there is the truth? No, and that's not actually been true with our textbooks necessarily, although textbooks are certainly, you know, edited thoroughly. Um, we're living in a world where the content is no longer gate-kept and controlled. 
um, in the same way that it was in the past. And that's a disruptive thing, but it's also, in many ways, a very positive thing. We had a gentleman come into our breakout session at this virtual learning summit on Friday who's, um, and I, I don't have his first name, but I remember his last name, Roman Nose. Okay? He is uh, a chief for one of our Oklahoma tribes, and he was talking about tribal history and tribal stories. And our 38 sovereign, is that right, 38 sovereign tribes in Oklahoma? I think that's the number. There's even more, but those are the federally recognized tribes. I think this is a great day for those that want to share additional stories and, and perspectives in history that might not have been in the textbook, right? There's a lot of stories that didn't make it in the textbook for a lot of different reasons. So, we, this is a nice metaphor for thinking about where we're going. Love this book. Recommend this book to you. Toby Lester wrote a whole book about the Waldstimuler map. And this reads as the most engaging nonfiction that I've probably ever read. And this is a story not only about geography and a map, but it's also a story about worldviews and the ways in which views of the world have been defined through the maps that are drawn. Um, and there's, you know, obviously lots of examples that they, that they talk about here. So I just, I, I love this map and I like this idea to say we are explorers. I can't stand before you today and say, got it all figured out. Here's where we're going to be in 10 years, you know, because we are totally figuring it out. No more could they have said, here's, you know, in 1507, here's where we're going to be in 10 years. They were drawing the map. We are drawing the map today with respect to how education with devices and this kind of, kind of access, what it's going to look like. And there are definitely different forces that would like to draw the map. Okay? Apple would like to draw the map. Amazon would like to draw the map. Google would like to draw the map. And they're all influencers. Um, but we have important roles to play as teachers uh, drawing the map and, and defining the map um, with our students. Did you read that headline in the Kansas City Star? Probably not because I made it, right? <laughs> I made it with this website, um, FODEY.com. You can put your own headline, decide which um, you know, newspaper this is going to be, put the date in, and you, you write your headline and, and put it in. Um, literacy. You know, one of my favorite stories that's happened this spring about, about literacy and critical thinking was in Crystal Butcher's, um, one of her classes at Lakeview um, with students, they were doing research about Annie Oakley and uh, Buffalo Bill and, you know, Wild West shows, and two students found two different birthdays for Annie Oakley online. You know, we can say all day long, don't believe everything you read online, but, you know, when the kids personally confront that, wait a minute, you know, well, which one is right? You know, it starts to hit that, how do you know this is true? Um, and by the way, it's very disruptive to suggest that we should help students become critical thinkers. Um, anybody know sort of where our whole educational system comes from, country-wise? It was Frederick Winslow Taylor that adopted the Ford production model and, you know, adopted it to schools. But what country did our school system come from? Started with a P, Russia. And our school system was designed to um, produce a lot of compliance and to mainly teach, you know, students and, and people to be ready for factory jobs. And really only a few folks were going to be kind of identified and sent on to what? College, 
higher education. So we're just in a radically different world with a system that was designed, you know, primarily to, here, read this, learn this, memorize this, get ready to go to a a reliable job that you're going to do the same thing day in and day out with a supervisor. Why do we have bells in school? Because the factory has bells, right? Why do we have that lunch? Because the factory did. I mean, so we're in the middle of really a lot of change. And so we've got competing things that are being suggested. At the one hand, you've got Wes up here saying, we've got to help our kids be critical thinkers, you know? On the other hand, we have the state saying, hey, all we're caring about is this test. And, you know, that test doesn't have a whole lot of critical thinking. It's really, you know, what kind of facts and things do have, have students been exposed to and can they learn? So I'm going to share a couple of headlines, and then we're going to do a bingo activity. You bet. Yes. Is it possible to read the whole article? No. It only gives you this short little snippet, and um, I'll show you how it works. So, what 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 would uh, what's our Yukon uh, Yukon? Is it the Yukon review? And today is Monday, April 23rd. Okay, what's going to be our headline? Okay, we can write whatever we want to, and there it is. Teachers declare we are taking over. So now I can copy that. I can make a new slide. You know, and based on how much text I put in, it's going to show me that much. It's just a little excerpt. Okay. Is it just straight to that site? Yeah. No, it's just straight straight to that site. But I think, you know, how are we going to help our students recognize that basic idea that we need to question what we are reading, okay? You know, when we go down this road, it also can lead to questioning authority, right? Oh, wait a minute. You know, what? I think a site like that can be helpful for just... Helping them see how easy it is. I mean, honestly, there are all kinds of mistakes in every textbook. I don't know if you've seen the errata sheet, errata sheet, I don't know how to pronounce that, that comes with a lot of textbooks. My statistics textbook, I remember having this long, you know, set of corrections because they tried to get it all right. But, you know, a lot of those were problem answers (laughs) were right or something, you know, with the exercises at the end of the chapter. But that's just, that's, that's one example of, of one way we might be able to help students think about that. All right, so let me toss a few headlines at you, and then we're going to do our bingo activity. Um, actually, before I do that, maybe I'll explain the bingo activity, and then I'll, um, that might help as we kind of talk about these, these different things. All right, what's on the table? I'm going to put $25 of my own money on the table for an iTunes gift card, and whoever wins, um, I'll, you, you know, contact me, shoot me an email, or write your, your email, just send me an email after this, and then I'll, uh, I'll bring this to you. Um, all these different terms, you're going to need to find somebody who can define the term, and they're going to need to write their name down underneath it, okay? Whoever, uh, when you have bingo, okay, and you call out your bingo, we'll stop, have everyone go, and then you're going to read out your bingo, and that person is going to need to define the term, and I'll be the judge. I won't be a very hard judge. I'll be a generous judge, okay? Um, so you'll need to um, have your, your folks who are going to sign those, and you can bingo anyway, so you can go, you know, uh, vertical, horizontal, or diagonal. 
Okay. A um, couple headlines. This was in January. Did you all hear about iBooks author being announced? Apple would love us all to buy iPads, right? And they would like for our schools to have all of our textbooks in iBooks form. And so they created a new application called iBooks Author, which allows for anybody to be able to create a textbook and to be able to um, make something that's, that's actually fairly fancy. Of course, you have to have a Mac in order to run this. And this particular application will only create books um, that are interactive that play on the iPad. It can, it can make PDFs and things. But you can uh, drop a video in here. You create your table of contents, a glossary, so you can click down. And then if, you know, we want to put a picture in here, we can take a picture that we have and we can, we can drop, we can drop it in and just start, start to build this book, okay, that's going to be interactive. So, um, that was an announcement that happened in January. In March, just last month, this announcement that Probably in 2013, tablet computers are going to outsell personal computers. Okay, that means laptop computers and desktop computers. Exponential growth, I didn't put this chart in here, but, you know, people will talk about an elbow of change because we're used to linear change, okay? That's a flat line, exponential change. When you start to get to the elbow, it starts to get vertical. That's doubling. Would anybody make a deal with me just for this month? Just I'll, write, I'll sign a new contract. You can start paying me a penny a day on May 1st, okay? Just have to double my salary every day, and we'll just, we'll just go for one month, okay? Going to sign up for that? That's right. We all would, right? Because we're going to be millionaires by the end of the month. Doubling is incredible. So when we say iPad sales are doubling, the iPad is two years old. Its sales have doubled, and they are projected to double. You know, that starts out, sometimes that starts out slow. If you're a penny a day, I don't know how many iPads they sold the first year, but it's doubling. So that was an article from March. Um, this is an article from the end of February. McAllen School District decided to buy 6,800 what? iPads. And also iPod Touches. I think uh, grades three and below are iPod Touch, and grades four and above are iPads. That's every single student. Now, when I lived in Texas, I helped some of our West Texas schools write grants. Um, I wrote two different grants for a little over $1.2 million to provide laptops for all sixth, seventh, and eighth graders in two different schools. Okay? Wow, what are we going to do now? We've got this, you know, budgets are all, well, do you know anybody who works in Cordell? Do you know anybody who, have you checked their, have you checked, have you checked their budget lately? That's one school district that's really not doing too bad. You know why? And I don't know how many, I just saw a friend of mine who's teaching there. They are, have been one-to-one in grades six through nine. They added 10th grade this year, and guess what? Next year, Cordell is going to add 11th and 12th grade. Now, I don't know. They maybe have 300 students, 400, something like that. They're not. They don't have a high school of 2,600. I mean, it's yeah, it's a small, small place relative to where we are. But anyway, uh, 
I know. I were there were there were about 20 districts that were part of that project. I was working with Floyd Data and Post were the two main ones that I worked with. I, I got a new student. Um, third quarter from Sporting, Texas. It, it was like a major culture shock for him to come to our school because uh, every student in Sporting, Texas, which is a comparable size to Yukon, had a laptop. They did everything. They had their textbooks text on their laptop. Every assignment they did, they downloaded. When they finished it, they uploaded it. I mean, nothing. Paper, everything was on that laptop. I've done some work in Maine where they've had laptops for about 10 years for all their middle school students. And two of their uh, students that just graduated last year, one went to the University of Chicago. They, they have this show called The Ben and Ben Show, and they're very, you know, savvy, you know, students. But one stayed in Maine. The one that went to the University of Chicago had a culture shock experience like that, literally with teachers, put your lid down, you know, put that away. And he's like, what? You know, this is how I take notes. This is how I work. So... Cultures are very different. You know, we can we could go to Cordell, and I bet it would be different. Or Grandview. I mean, there's some different schools here in Oklahoma that have started to do this kind of thing. Um, and, I mean, we're going to have to navigate this. We're going to have to figure out what does this look like. Because, you know, many of us in education, I don't know what the percent is, but many of us are very passionate about education for everyone. Okay? This isn't just about those that can afford a $15,000 or how much ever a private education is you know, downtown, and we can't, you know, simply say to kids, oh, I'm sorry you don't have a pencil, no learning for you today, you know, we're going to have to provide options and alternatives, and it's very challenging because these things are expensive. Have you heard about these lawsuits now happening with Apple? They were being sued in Europe, now the Department of Justice. In fact, there was a Wall Street Journal article this weekend. This one was from April 11th. You know, they were saying, well, Apple lawsuit means cheaper e-books. Here's one from April 13th. The Apple e-book price-fixing lawsuit has terrifying implications. Does anybody know who this gentleman is? He is Jeff Bezos, yes, and he is the CEO of Amazon. So, you know, Microsoft used to be sort of the top dog when it came to technology. And we all had Microsoft Office. A lot of us still do have Microsoft Office. The other big heavyweights are Google. Okay, so we have Microsoft and Google. We have Amazon and we have Apple. So why would they say we need to fear this? Well, some people think Amazon wants to, what, take over the market, you know, control it all. And um, I thought this quotation from the L.A. Times was a, was a pretty good article. Again, think about, or a good quotation, think about our student who just published his e-book. Um, he's basically saying, you know, why, why would we see this as a threat? I mean, any author, again, think UConn high school student, <laughs> sees today as a real beneficial situation, okay? Because when could a high school student have been able to publish for a global market, you know, before now. Um, so, it's disruptive, disruptive times. Computing is going mobile, and we're going to talk some about the cloud and about apps. So, for the $25 I, uh, card, um, can someone repeat to me your directions? What were the directions that I shared? Summarize them for us before I turn you loose to work on your bingo. What do you need to do in the next however long it takes? Just go around and ask people if they know anything about Okay, and if they sign their name, what are they going to say they can do? 
An oral definition. That's right. And if you get the bingo, then you know you'll be calling on them. So again, I'm not going to be incredibly harsh. I'm just a real stickler. No, not no blackout. Um, we're going to go. We're going to go for bingo. Um, so we're going to go for bingo in one direction. Okay. Does anybody need a pen? We're talking old school here. Anybody need a pen? <laughs> Or a pencil. Okay. That's okay. It's all right. We're, it's the transition time. It's okay. I write stuff on paper all the time too. Okay. Please, please write your name, students. Yeah. Please write your name on your paper at the top. Four different signatures. Well, you needed a bingo. Yeah, and you can. Oh, and this is important. You may only sign a page once. Okay. So you can sign for different things. But don't sign somebody's page more than one time. Is that the right way of saying that? You can't sign your own. That's right. Okay, go. Go. The race is on. By the way, remember, you can use any, anything you have. If you want to Google something so you can sign something, you can look it up. You may use your devices. You can't sign your own page, but you can use your devices. <laughs> Bingo? Okay. All right. Let's all have a seat. It's not necessarily over. All right. Okay. All right. So, Donna, call out your bingo. Okay. Linda Bowen, please define Wi-Fi. You can access Internet without being hooked in any. Linda Bowen. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, but you'll need to provide a definition. So give give us your best definition. It's wireless internet. Okay. Wireless internet. Wireless internet. Wireless internet. Okay. We'll accept that. How is how is it different from cell phone? Is it cell phone? No. It's different. And we'll accept your answer, but it's different than cell phone. We kind of have two big ways to access the Internet now wirelessly. One is through the phone service, okay, AT&T, Verizon, you name the carrier, and you pay the carrier. And then the other is Wi-Fi, which we have here. You may have at your home. Of course, you're paying Cox or some other, you know, DSL to AT&T. So wireless Internet, different from cell phone connection. Okay, your next one is? Bluetooth. Ricky? Ricky, what is Bluetooth? It's, it's a way to pick up a signal from um, a lot of an Internet system. Okay, you can get on the Internet through Bluetooth, that's true. But Bluetooth, what are, well, give me some examples of how Bluetooth is used besides getting on the Internet. What do you, what do you see people? We receive Okay. Hands-free calling, right? So Bluetooth is a way to pair two devices so they talk, all right? It can involve getting on the Internet if I want to use my phone, but, I mean, how many of us have seen somebody at the grocery store talking to themselves? Okay, and you were a little worried, and then you saw their ear, right? And they had the device on their ear, and you realized, oh, they're talking on the phone. I always think of it whenever we trade our Trading ringtones, that's right. And, in fact, that was something that a lot of kids complained about the iPhone. They couldn't Bluetooth ringtones right to each other like they did. 
Okay, so we'll accept that Bluetooth. So it's, it's pairing, and it can be for Internet, but it's devices talk. Okay, your next one. Kindle e-reader. Okay. All right, that is, it looks similar to this. I realize this is an iPad, and you can download books, magazines, and read very good. And what company is the company over? I'll give you your hint. That's right. It's one of the big four, and it's Amazon. So Amazon wants us all to have Kindles, all to have big libraries with um, our ebook. And that your answer is accepted. That's good. But my little one bonus question is, what's the disadvantage when you buy a book from an, an e-reader like that relative to just going to Barnes and Noble and buying a good old paper book? What's the disadvantage? You don't want to swim with it, that's true, or get it in the tub. Okay, what else? Sharing and passing it along. Some books now, they're allowing that you can share them, but most do not allow you to do what comes so naturally, which is, here, read this. I love this book. Here, check this out. So, this one. Absolutely. Tens of thousands of books are available you know, free. Treasure Island, all the works of Tom, of uh, Mark Twain. I mean, basically, because they're out of copyright. Right? Okay, your last one is the Nook, and who's defining this? A Nook is an e-reader for Barnes and Noble. It does basically the same thing as the Kindle, except that it never has had that surface that doesn't glare, and it also had color, and the, only the Kindle Fire color now, but yep. the Nook had color, and it works a lot like an iPad or an Android tablet. Awesome definition. So, you have won our bingo. Let's give her a hand. Good job. All right, that was pretty fast. I don't know if I've got this picture in here or not. Um, I'm going to go to Barnes & Noble. Have you seen how Barnes & Noble has redesigned recently? And I say recently, like in the last in the last few months. Right. Right. Oh wait. Okay, hold on. This this is not the this is I love this app by the way. Okay, we're gonna talk about apps and clouds. Um this is a little app that I use on my iPhone called Pano. Okay, one of my favorite favorite apps. It's a panoramic one that lets me take pictures like this with my phone. So this is the children's area of Barnes & Noble. Okay, Yes, that is my very dramatic now eight-year-old. <laughs> and it has stitched these pictures together. So I've taken one picture, take another picture, and it, it shows a little, it's called an onion skin, a little partially opaque version to show me where that picture ends. Alright, so this that was the, the um, the children's section. This <coughs> all right. I thought I had more pictures. I I had um, well maybe I put need to just put Nook in here. I thought I had taken a picture. <coughs> Yep, I do. Here's the new Barnes & Noble. Oh, by the way, what is this over here on the side? Why does that scare people? 
Right. So that if we're not making a different choice in some cases, when we take a picture with our device, we can be sharing the geographic location of where we are. I do share lots of pictures openly, but when I'm at my house, I don't share the location of where that is. Now, it's a little odd because if somebody wanted to look me up in the phone book, you know, they can. Um, but anyway, this is, this is a pano picture of Barnes & Noble. This doesn't have as many. But, I mean, I was like, wow, I guess reading and the sales of books is changing quite a bit for Barnes & Noble. This is the Quail Springs Mall on Kirkpatrick, okay? The whole center is all about Nook. Why on the earth did they do that? Do you remember Borders? Yeah. Right? Do you remember Kodak? Right? I mean, just in the last, what, two months, Kodak has gone bankrupt. Kodak had some of the original patents for digital photography. And now they're bankrupt. We don't know what's going to happen with them. Borders, um, you know, went under. I personally love bookstores. I love to go to them and read stuff. One of the things that's neat, does anybody have a Nook? One of the things you can do with a Nook that you can't do with other devices is when you have a Nook inside of Barnes & Noble, their Wi-Fi is set up where you can read any book on, in their whole library. So in that sense, it's kind of like going to the library where you could, you know, take the book or just the bookstore, right? You could take that off the shelf, find yourself, a, you know, a comfy chair, and you could read as much as you wanted in the bookstore, you know, and then decide if you wanted to buy it or not. So anyway, it's, things are changing, and we definitely see that visibly in an example like this. Okay, so I'm going to share a video, and this is from a group called the New Media Consortium. Every year they publish a report called the Horizon Report, and they publish a Horizon Report for higher education. They also publish one for K-12. I think this was published in February, and this is the one for higher education. So I'm going to share this with you. This is about, I think, four minutes long, and as you watch this video... Um, I want you to think about your own personal connections to this. Anybody have kids in college still for now? Okay. Anybody going to be sending kids to college? Um, so you may have that kind of a connection to this, you know, or you just may be thinking about your classroom. All right. You may be thinking about your, you know, kids that are transferring in from Fortney ISD or from um, Cordell or Grandview or, you know, there's going to be different connections. So how do you connect to this particular video and the trends that they're going to talk about. Oh, and basically they kind of do this with time horizons. So they say things that are going to be one year or less, two to three years, and four to five years. And this is sort of an executive summary video. We're going to see what are the one year or less mobile apps. And they've actually taken cloud computing off of this because it's really here. Uh, a couple years ago, cloud computing was one of the big big trends. Um, Game-based learning, they call this learning analytics, gesture-based computing, and Internet of Things, which I don't even really understand what that is. Um, but mobile apps and tablet computing are probably the things we'll connect with the most. So let's take a look at this, and then I'm going to give you some time to talk with your neighbor about your connections to this video. Make sure my audio is set. And they now have an app. Okay, I'm going to just open up a little timer. I really like this timer because it is free and it is 
just in the web browser. I don't have to have special software. Um, so I'm going to give you a minute to talk with your, about your connections to those trends with your table. Okay, I'm going to give you 30 more seconds to talk, but you also have to nominate someone at your table who's going to share. So talk about who's going to share. Okay, let's start with our front table here. Who has volunteered to share? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and we're just sharing what we talked about? Yeah, what was something that you all, that you all talked about together? Sadie was saying that, you know, her kids are amazed that she and husband are so into technology. And we talked about smart refrigerators and how to protect when you're moving. Like, your smart home. The smart home, yeah. Because yeah. there's all kinds of ways this comes over on a consumer level, right? In fact, that's probably the strongest engine of change amidst all this is the consumer stuff. Think about phones, right? We've had different technologies and tablets in computing, but until things got to the phone, I don't think we saw things explode nearly like they have in the last few years. 2007 was when they, Steve Jobs announced the iPhone, you know, and now with the Android and these other devices, um, it's really becoming an extension of our brains, you know. I don't know if you feel this way. A lot of your kids do, that when you take away their device, it's like you've cut off their arm. You've taken away a part of their body. And uh, That's true. <laughs> and, and does this ever cause issues for you at the dinner table? I'm not just talking about kids either. Yeah. Right? Do you have a spouse or someone else in your family who, you know, wants to have that device out yeah. around the dinner table? <laughs> we had my father-in-law's birthday party at uh, the Statesman, which is the retirement community where they live. And um, we, uh, we kind of joke sometimes about lay your weapons on the table. Um, have you seen the Galaxy Note? Have you seen that phone? I don't know if this is going to come up or not. Um, it is huge. It's gigantic. And look at that. Okay? That's my wife's iPhone, and that's the Galaxy Note. That's there on the side. But but navigating, like, when do we get that out, you know, and is that appropriate? I mean, we're here at the dinner table. We're at home. You know, the screen comes out. This is all stuff that we need to help, you know, family members navigate. I put my screen up, you know. Oh, I can multitask. Well, wait a minute. You communicate something to me when, you know, you have that screen up. So it happens with adults as well as with kids in terms of the, having trouble with these devices. Okay. All right, let's go to our back table. They thought they were going to be off the hook and last. Who's been volunteered to share? Did you want to share an app? Or were you, I shouldn't say that that way, were you asked to share your app? A hot spot is, if that's Wi-Fi. So we have a hot spot in this room. I don't know where it is in the ceiling, but somewhere there is. And so now your iPad, you're saying, can be a hot spot for your students. And I can access the internet anywhere I go as long as there's a thing. And one of the things that was very, very exciting, I know we have financial challenges in this district, as all districts do, but the district is using funds to provide Wi-Fi on all campuses. Okay? Yeah. Right. Well, when I came to Oklahoma in 2006 to work for AT&T, I had faster internet and better connectivity at my house on my Cox connection than I did at our office downtown. You know, I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, think of, if you have a high-definition television and you have a DVD player or access to cable or Netflix, I mean, think about the access you have at home. How crazy is that? So a hotspot is 
Something is a um, device that's going to let you get online. Here, we're connected to the Internet, and we've got something in the ceiling. But in your classroom, you've, it's portable Internet. Yeah, you are a hotspot. My kids, I remember a few years ago, we're driving down the road, and my daughter has a laptop out, which isn't like really safe to have, you know, driving down the road. But she said, you know, Dad, how do you spell Disney.com? And I'm like, we can't get on the Internet. We're in the car. Okay? Now what do we have? A hotspot. You know, makes this hotspot for the car. Right. And of course, they want to charge you extra money to do that, but you have that that ability. Okay. Anyway, I, uh, I do a home app students for family retarded, and I have downloaded about 15 apps that are all cause and effect and musical. Mm-hmm. Different. I've got guitar. I just was showing them the guitar one. And he can just... So the ability to use those apps and navigate in them is quite different than if we were to just hand if we were to just hand a laptop to a student, right? I really was one who thought netbooks were going to be a revolution. Okay, people talked about oh these netbooks, but you cannot navigate within a netbook the same way you can within an app. They're really designed so that you can navigate in them and you don't have to take a course in order to figure out you know most of them. Okay, this table. Anybody volunteered to share? They volunteered me. Okay. <laughs> now, I was just sharing that they have an app for everything. It doesn't matter what it is. Just like YouTube, you can get a YouTube, watch anything, a video that tells you anything. Now they've got apps for everything. I love the new School Connect app. Right. For our school system now. Right. But it doesn't matter what it is. It's going to be one. And... Like the Kindle for reading, I have it on my phone, I have it on my PC, I have it on my Kindle Touch, I have it on my Kindle Fire. Right. And every place that I go, I've got my book. So a great definition of the cloud right there. Okay, because it's in the cloud, it's saved on these servers. By the way, do you know Google's in Prior, Oklahoma? Talk about the cloud. Why would Google want to set up a farm of servers? Okay, lots of computers hooked up all the time. Why would they want to do that in Prior? Wouldn't New York City be a better choice? Washington, D.C.? They have space? What else do they have there? Geographically center, probably inexpensive land. What else do they have there? Maybe something to do with electricity? Hydroelectric, right? Power, lots of electricity. And what's different between prior Oklahoma and, let's say, Washington, D.C., or New York City, or San Francisco? It's really not a strategic target for terrorists, <laughs> okay? So seriously, that's, those are all reasons. So the cloud, when you get your Kindle book, we're not sure where that's coming from, and it would be an Amazon server, not a Google server. But, but it could be anywhere in the world, and they are providing these different data centers around the country to provide redundancy, a quick access, but also, um, you know, protection for, you know, Hurricane Katrina. I mean, things that can happen disaster-wise. Um, our data is probably safer. Okay, I'm not going to guarantee this, right? But in general, having it in the cloud is going to be backed up more so than just, like, at our house. Anybody had to take a hard drive with them into the tornado shelter? I've done that before. Okay, actually, because all our digital pictures are there. Now I have many of them in a, you know, fire file or whatever, a safety deposit box. But that's the cloud. Good definition of it. I have a question. You were talking about Kodak going bankrupt, which I had not heard, or maybe I didn't, connected, but I have 
thousands of pictures on Kodak Owl. They're staying online. They are. They're, they're not doing any cameras at all. They, okay. This is a really important... Then if I wanted to move those to the cloud, how could I do that? Well, we would Google backup. What is, the, what is it called? Kodak Photo Albums? Kodak Gallery. Okay, Kodak Gallery. So we'll go to our friend Google. Um, and then Google how we can back up our Kodak Gallery. So yeah, here. By the way, here's a nice one. I wanted to point this out. We are, most of us, using Google, and we're just keyword searching. But one of the things, probably one of the best things I learned at the, the Google Teacher Academy in 2009 was over here on the side, there is a choice that says, show search tools, okay? Why is the 2009 article maybe not as helpful to me right now? Because it's three years old. So when I click show search tools, Right away, I can say, I just want to see stuff from the past year. All right? And so these search tools that are over here in the, in the sidebar can be very helpful in terms of time relevance as you're searching. Um, so here's a link from Kim Commando. My mother loves to listen to Kim Commando on the radio. She explains things pretty well. <laughs> and so here is a... Um, March 3rd, 2012, article from Kim Commando about how you, you have to wade through all these ads. But anyway, she's explaining a way to back up your photos. So that's a really important, you know, issue because, you know, I've got things on my hard drive, but if I'm saving them up, I, I need to be backing stuff up. My friend Kevin Honeycutt has a very clever way of talking about losing your, your, your data he calls it a digital stroke. Have you had a digital stroke? That means your hard drive has crashed, right? You don't want to have a digital stroke. You know? Yeah. But, I mean, think of, if I was to lose all the digital photos of my kids, I mean, we have shoe boxes of pictures. We were looking through them, actually, at my father-in-law's birthday party this weekend. And funny, and it was great to have the, the shoe box. But, okay. Feel that, mo feel that for a moment, and now resolve to back up, okay? Find a backup solution, and there's different places that you can back things up. I mean, I've, I have an old hard drive that we have a safety deposit box at, B at Bank of Oklahoma, and, and there's a hard drive that's in it, okay? Why? Because if my entire hard drive, this laptop got stolen, if it fell down and cracked, you know, I, well, I did this summer, and, 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 you know, Apple came out with their thing called Time Machine. Does anybody else have another backup solution? I won't just do Apple things, but uh, Carbonite. I tried it and didn't, I had so much to back up that I didn't, it, I haven't, I don't have my stuff fully, fully backed up yet. But Carbonite is one that a lot of people use. Mosey is another one that people use. Okay, these are examples of cloud-based storage, and you don't have to go here either. I was just at the sixth grade academy today talking with Paula Wolf, and she bought a 500 gigabyte, yes, gigabyte hard drive for probably like $100, $150. Crazy. And so, yes, we can pay these services, but you could buy for $100 a backup and then put it somewhere securely. I remember probably five years ago, 
I remember CDs. We still use those, right? On CDs, I backed up all of my iTunes songs. I had like 3,000. And I said, Mom, put these in your basement because if we have a tornado, you're probably not going to have one. They're going to be safe. So it's just another thing to think about here. All right? Just think about what it would feel like to lose your most important data and resolve today. Okay? Today, I'm speaking to myself as well because I back up some. You don't want a digital stroke. Okay? You and, and so share this with your loved ones, share this with your neighbors, all right? Because all of us, to some degree or another, are using digital information, and as you become more reliant upon it, just think about family memories. It'd be a real tragedy, you know, to have, to have that wiped out. And, and be, what if your external hard drive fails? Really, every hard drive is going to fail at some point, so the key is to try to have multiple backups, you know, have, have it in a couple places. And an online backup option you know, is, is going to hopefully be more, more secure than just having a... On your Rosie, it was like 599 months, but how many gigs is that? It depends. Um, how, yeah, how much, how much they give you. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. Carbonite was the one that I was, that I was looking at. Okay. Um, it's probably not stupid. Please ask. When is it going to get easier? In other words, why, when are things going to slow down and stop? Yeah. Part of it, I think part of it has in terms of apps. Like if you look at the complexity of apps, um, being able to get in, and I'm going to, I'm going to show you a couple apps. That's what I'm going to do next is we're going to talk about Dropbox. We're going to talk about Evernote. It is simpler now, in some cases, to have an app than to install it on your computer. Who's had a virus on their computer before? Anybody dealt with that? That's a nightmare. It can be, right? So, to a certain degree, it has gotten a little simpler with apps. But in terms of the choices and the new things coming at us, I really... I really don't see things slowing down. And again, when you look at exponential change and how things are just, I mean... As an example, talking to your computer and having to do something that you want to do, is that in the future? Oh, it's right, it's right now. Have you done, have you done that on Google? Um, let, me, let me... In fact, I'll show you a video about this. I'll do it, and then I'll show you a quick video. Um, I'm going to click this button right here on the Google search bar. This is where I start to feel like I'm at a fair and we're doing magic tricks, okay? And next, I'm going to pull the rabbit out. Okay, I'm just going to click this, and I'm going to, I'm going to say um, online backup. Online backup. There it is. So it's just done the search um, with Google. It's built into Google. It's just a button that's right to the side. I have a microphone that's built into my computer. So if you don't have a microphone on your computer, you'll just need to plug in a microphone. But um, I'll say back up my Kodak gallery. Back up my Kodak gallery. There's the search. Now, I don't know that I can go into the enhanced search tools with my voice, so I'll have to go in there and click. So, I mean, that's a great question. I don't think that 
the number of new things coming out, the speed of things coming out, is going to slow down. Well, it almost feels, excuse me, but it almost feels like, why should I really learn how to work staff in the machine when it's going to be gone in the next two months anyway? Right. As I think about these tools and technologies, that's one of the reasons why with, when I wrote my book, <clears throat> I didn't say learn to use iMovie. Okay? I just said video. didn't say learn to use Picasso web albums, okay? because that may change. You know, The programs are going to change, but some of the things are going to endure. I think working with images, working with audio, working with video, those are things that are going to endure. I think e-books are going to endure. We're going to have people you know, continuing to write books and publish them. They're going to share them electronically. You have to, I think all of us are at different places with this. Right? We're different ages. We've had different experiences. Our kids are too. Right? And my suggestion is to, that's why it's playing with media, to pick something and to play with it and to use it. It's great to get some apps or, and to get a device and be able to play with it and to use it. That may be for your kids, but it also might just be for you personally with photography. You know, family memories and being able to preserve, you know. Like, a lot of them have ads, or they have, you know, it takes like three or four pages to get to the actual app. Yes. Because you have to go through, yes, no, 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 no. Yes. Uh, so I preview everything before I let them use it, so I know what, what I have to do in order to set it up. Right. There's also devices for special ed teachers there, you can get a lot of things for children with autism on. There are a lot of apps out there now for children with autism things uh, and programs that teach them the way that they learn. And some of those, too, are radically different in terms of their price. If you look at the, like, two or three, two hundred dollars or whatever, that, or no, thousand dollars. I mean, some, there's, some, there's some apps now that are two hundred dollars, which, you know, you used to be a, over a thousand. All right. Let me show you a, a, a Google search story that was just published um, about three weeks ago about that technology. But I think this is a good example of sort of the humanizing power of technology. I love this. This is one of my favorite videos of all time. And I know the teacher here. So that video, which is a two-minute video, was filmed over a period of three days from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Google was at their school in Wells, Maine. And I think that that's a real powerful story about how technology can really open doors. And when we think about the simplicity of things, that is one thing that Google and, you know, there are some other companies that have tried to do this too, but I think they really strive for simplicity, you know, power with simplicity. You know, what's, what can we access from here? Oh, my gosh, the world, right? Of course, it's also filtered by them. It's prioritized by them. That's another layer of the literacy to say, you know, just because it's on the first page of results, you know, that doesn't – there are other search engines and there are algorithms and ways that people make decisions about what, you know, shows up on the first page. So, well, what I would like to do now is, um, and I'm going to try to get us out of here in about 20 minutes or so, just uh, by about 5.35. That's going to be my goal. Um, I would like to take you into the App Store, show you iTunes U and what 
uh, a course, a free course from Yale or Harvard or Stanford. What is that looking like now, and, and what does it mean to download that app? And then I want to talk about Evernote and Dropbox. Because wherever you are with devices, whether you're, you know, desktop computer in your, in your uh, classroom, if you have a smartphone or a tablet, those are applications that all of us can use and probably end up using with our students. So one of the things that technology can mean, I have a, a, a $30 plug here that I could use to plug into this projector. However, there is now a $15 app called Reflection App. Right now, this is just for Mac. Um, they don't have a Windows version. But what this app lets me do <clears throat> is it lets me turn my um, computer into an Apple TV. So I could have purchased a $100 Apple TV, but now I am wireless with my you know, tablet here controlling it, and I can wander around the room and be wherever I would like to be. That is really exciting, okay, not being tethered to the front of the room and being able to wander around. We know just proximity to students can have a substantial effect on behavior, so the fact that I'm no longer, you know, tethered to have to be at the front of the, the room is a big deal. So I have now gone into... Um, okay, wait a minute. How did you do that? There's a, a $15 app that's called Reflection App. And I'm running that on my computer. So my computer is still plugged in, just like it has been right. all workshop. <clears throat> but on my iPad here at the bottom, see this little button that I've clicked here? With an iPad 2 or 3, you can't do this with the 1, you can mirror your device with an Apple TV. The one that says Conference, Danker D, K Davis, PDC, all of those are Apple TVs. We've got, if we were in the, the PDC today, I, I could have, you know, actually connected to the Apple TV. That's a $100 box. Of course, Apple wants to sell us movies, and, but it plays Netflix and things. But I didn't have to do that today because I'm running a piece of software on my computer, and I'm, I'm mirroring my screen. So, yeah, I mean, this is magical, magical stuff. I can use this. Could I tell you exactly how it all works? No. You know, there's a $15 app there, and I'm using my iPad here. But I really like the ability and this idea of not being tethered to my keyboard, not being chained to the front of the classroom. And I also like the idea of my students being able to share what they're doing at their desks or at their table, you know, up with the front. And so I think that, as we have different devices and this kind of capability, um, I mean, I still think we need projectors. I still think we need the ability to show things. We may not all need smart boards, okay? We may just need a projector and then a way that we can show, you know, stuff up on the screen. But the app's running through your computer, right? Or there's, there, there's an app. There, yeah, there, there's a, it's sort of like a player app. There's a, there's a. There is not any. It's not interactive like a smart board. Just take some of that back. Well, yeah, I mean, no, I can, I can any, any kind of inter... Any, yeah, anything interactive that I want to do, um, I mean, I can, I can do right here. I can, you know, start a new drawing, and I can select my color, and I can start drawing. But I mean, yeah, if they're on their own devices, I mean, you, you can only share one screen at a time. So, but rather than having them have to go up to the front of the room, 
they could be wherever they wanted to be in, in the room and be able to share. Okay. All right. So I have lots of apps, obviously, on my device. Um, I've organized apps in different categories. For instance, this was the art category. My eight-year-old loves brushes. It's her, her favorite app. Um, she's drawn all kinds of different things. In fact, um, I learned how to make mobile games for the iPhone and I, iPad at a, a conference I paid to attend in Phoenix two weeks ago. And so she has wanted to do a little app called Bark Buddy anyway, so she's been drawing you know, pictures to go with that. So there's lots and lots of different apps. In order to get an app on an iPad, on an Android device, on a Kindle Fire, we have to go into some kind of an app store. And this is where part of the war is going on between the, the big four. Um, you know, Microsoft really doesn't have an app store yet. And this, one of the things on your uh, page was, when, what is it, Windows Phone 8. Okay, so people are holding out that Microsoft's going to be able to come up with something great with Windows Phone 8. But currently, they're, they really don't have um, you know, much in the, in the mobile space. I'm going to go ahead and connect. I, what I did is I searched for iTunes U. Have any of you all seen the, this iTunes U, the new version? I'm not doing this to be an advertisement for Apple, um, but I do think we can have a glimpse by the way, this is going to be dangerous. Why do I not want to type my password right now? Yeah, whenever I'm on a device, um, well, when I'm on an iPad, it shows the first letter of my password every time I type it. So be careful when you, when you do that because, you know, if you show the first letters of your password as you're typing it, you can be guaranteed somebody in your class is going to know your password. <laughs> Cra crazy story. I learned this carpooling to Classen uh, last year. There was literally a student at Classen who installed a hidden camera in a teacher's classroom behind her um, behind her keyboard and used that to be able to um, identify keystrokes and be able to get into the the gradebook and have you know access to the password. Well, hopefully they can channel those, you know, those skills for uh, good and not for evil. There was a, I, I saw this this morning when I was reading. The first student has hacked to his own election results in California. So North County Times, this was at California State University, San Marcos. And yes, the FBI was involved. He hacked into their election systems to give himself more votes. He needs to be a white hat and not a black hat. Okay. Black hats use their hacking skills for, uh, for bad purposes, not good purposes. Um, what's a push notification? It's an alert, right? Like a text message. Disadvantage of turning on a push notification would be... It soaks your battery. It also interrupts you, right? Everybody would like to send you push notifications. Why? Because everybody wants your attention. It can if you don't have, you know, limitations on, you know, when those alerts come. I almost always say don't allow. It's because I don't, <laughs> I don't want that push. I mean, if I want to go to the Air app, I'll go to it. But that battery is a huge, you know, point. Hopefully we're going to see a breakthrough in battery technology. I, I can't get through the day with my phone 
now with you know with it without charging it. Yeah, and there's that's a, that's a benefit. Um, here's another example of the cloud. Do I want to sync iTunes U? That means that if I'm using like a phone and an iPad and I say sync, it is going to match the content and keep the same. So if I download an astronomy class right now from Yale, when I open my iPhone and open this, it's going to synchronize it. I'm going to say don't sync. Um, but that's, again, the cloud. So I can go ahead and click on the catalog. And what this is um, is, a, is an app store for courses. And I offered a class a couple years ago at our church on, uh, it was called Exploring the Bible Through Google Earth, and then it was just iTunes U. I did five weeks for each one. It's unbelievable what's available for free now for learning. We've, we have, I don't know if you've ever gone or had anybody in your family go to like an elder hostel or these different kinds of vacations that are focused on learning stuff. So you go somewhere and then it's all about, you know, Colonial Williamsburg or, you know, their, their vacation destination things. So many different <coughs> free um, courses and things like that that we can take. Starting in January, they announced K-12. There's, a, there's K-12 here. But most of our major Tier 1 universities have, um, have a presence here in iTunes U. So there's going to be um, ads for different things. I'm going to go ahead and put uh, astronomy. And I'm just going to search and see what's available for astronomy. So there are courses and there are collections that are available. And I'm going to say, see all the courses. And just like I can with apps, I've got uh, ratings and stars. So Astronomy's uh, Frontiers and Controversies from Yale has 304 ratings, looks like with an average of, of three and a half stars. So I'm going to go ahead and select this. <coughs> it's going to give me a little bit of information. Everything that is in iTunes U is available free. Um, you can't pay for it. If I click over here on materials, there are 104 different things that are here to download. Some of these are transcription notes. Some of them are videos. Um, all of these different things are available. And I could download these individually or I can subscribe to the whole course. So I'm going to go ahead and click get the course. And because I put my password in here recently, it shouldn't prompt me to get it again. And it says there are 45 new things that are available in this course. Now, none of us are going to be building courses in iTunes U probably in the next, you know, year. And I don't even know if we ever will. But if we look at what's available here, it is pretty interesting to see, you know, how this is organized and how, how the materials are available. If I click down here on materials, I can see that I've got um, the introduction, um, transcript, notes, and then there are videos that are available. So, for instance, this third one is our solar system and the Pluto problem. So I'm going to click the little arrow there, and it's going to actually download that video here to my iPad. Now, this is going to take a little while. It says it's 384 megabytes and it's going to take 12 minutes to download, and it's starting to, starting to download to my device. The ability to do this is, um, I think, insightful for how we're going to be able to organize our courses and the kinds of things that we're going to be able to create and share. 
I don't know that we're going to be putting everything onto an iPad platform. I mean, it depends on what the district decides to do. If the district would decide, you know, to invest money in devices and they're all the same, then maybe we could. I think it's more likely that we're going to let students bring devices and we're going to supplement those with, you know, devices they check out from the library. But I don't know. I'm not sure what we'll end up deciding to do. <clears throat> But that is iTunes U, and I would encourage you, if you have access to, you know, an iPad or an iPhone or, or some kind of iOS device, um, to check that out, not only from the standpoint of, you know, what do I want to learn, but also, hmm, how are they organizing their content? What kind of content are they sharing, you know? And then what are they asking their students to do with that information? <coughs> this is all, you know, available free. As you read information here and, and, and take notes, you know, the highlights and the, and the uh, annotations and things like that that you make are available to you and they're aggregated in here. What's an iOS device? Good question. It is an iPad or an iPhone or an iPod Touch. So there's basically three kinds of Apple mobile devices and that's sort of short code for something in the Apple universe. Most apps are going to run in your, um, both platforms, but some of them are just for the iPad only. Okay. Okay, so can you just tell me, like, why, why would somebody, is, are they, are you saying that somebody from that college would go down, I mean, is that for a course, or like, what, is uh -huh. this information out there for any, I mean, why would somebody go grab that book? I mean, like, are they taking the course or? So Apple is encouraging professors and universities to use this as a platform for their courses. Yes. So active courses, instead of going to buy a textbook, you're going to go and subscribe to the course. And then you're going to have all the materials that you need for the entire class. You know, not just syllabus and outline, but you're going to have lecture notes, videos, everything. So this is the textbook, except it's more than just text. You know, it's videos and animations and things like that too. The other purpose is I think universities are are having a higher profile as they give away courses, you know, MIT, Stanford, Yale, these, you know, <clears throat> tier 1 universities are wanting to be seen giving back to the to the to society and also just really showcasing some of their best faculty. So I mean there's different purposes for it. But in January January was the first time <clears throat> that Apple added K-12, and so I don't know what's, you know, what is available here. Sorry, I keep on clicking the wrong thing. I want to cancel and go back to the home screen. So I don't, I don't know how much is available here, you know, inside K-12. Um, yeah, I was just, just think that for the price of an iPad, you know, those publishers, textbook publishers, which is, well, I think it's going to be a combination. Actually, they announced this uh, last week that our State Department of Ed has a portal, you know, where they're going to they are distributing some information for professional development and you know conferences and things. Right, the platform is here to try and revolutionize things, but there's a lot of steps in between having the platform available and and revolution. I mean, we're going to have to have folks adopt platforms, but then, you know, encouraging folks to 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 publish stuff, you know, so. Well, I'm thinking, you know, you mentioned the school, but 
smart the smart board uh, you know a smart board runs how much by the time you I think about two or three thousand dollars. Yeah. So how many iPads do <coughs> right. right. Seems like a no brainer that you would have right. a crafting study. Right. I think so. I think it's I think it's money better spent to have a flat screen television or a projector and then devices that students are going to have rather than a an interactive whiteboard that we're going to have to come up to the front, you know, in order to use and we're not going to be able to take home with us either. So, okay, well we're losing lots of folks. So let me let me show you uh, one other website and then we'll I won't go into this in depth. Um, I have created a website called iPad with West. And I'm going to do a, a workshop in Oklahoma City on May 10th. It's going to be focused on productivity applications. Um, on this site, and part of my aha about doing this was, and there's, I think I'm going to break even on this so far. I don't know whether, how, you know, this is an experiment for me. But I've seen this, the data, okay? It said two-thirds of small businesses right now in the United States either have bought iPads or they're considering iPads this year. You know, there's a lot of folks that are, that are getting them. So in thinking just about productivity, which is, you know, we're, we're about more than productivity, you know, in school, but the apps that I've highlighted here are, are ones that I would recommend you check out. And I'll just mention, uh, well, I'll mention three of them. Um, because I've, on here I've got information about them and then some tutorials as well. Let me start with buying our house, okay? We were in, I was in Alabama doing a presentation probably last uh, February when we closed on our house in Oklahoma City and I needed to sign a contract and I had my iPad. So how did I do that? This app called iAnnotate PDF and at the time it was a $10 app allowed me to open up a PDF document, sign it, save it, and send it back to our realtor. And this is my favorite application for being able to annotate any kind of um, PDF document. I just love that. So that's not a free app, but these next two are. Well, and that extension would be like professional development. You know how we're supposed to be going paperless. Well, we're sure. Because everybody's got to print out and find it. There you go. That's right. Yeah, I was just thinking there's got to be a way that you can. Yes. Yes, and I and I like I have a stylus too. So it's kind of hard to sign with your fingers. So you know, ten dollars stylus, but being that's really a transformative kind of thing to be able to receive a document, sign it. In fact, I have of course my laptop, but how do I sign with my? You know, I can't do that with the mouse. So it's more natural to be doing that on an iPad, and that app allows me to be able to sign. Um, how many of you have used Dropbox before? I know we were mentioning it earlier. This is like a flash drive in the sky, okay? We all probably, in some way, shape, or form, are either using, you know, USB flash drives, some drives, or having students use them. It can be a real pain to have all your students try to turn in something with this, right? Have you ever had kids try to turn stuff in with a disc? Remember the disc? The floppy disc? Okay. <clears throat> I remember when I was a senior in high school, I had a friend of mine, I'll just date myself, this was 1987, um, you know, he tried to turn in his assignment on a floppy disk, and my AP senior English teacher said, no, I'm not accepting that. You know, his printer failed. It was kind of ahead of his time. Really, you don't want kids turning this in, okay? You don't want to shuffle these. You want students to turn things into you electronically. How are they going to do that? Well, we have My Big Campus, okay, which is an environment where kids can turn things in electronically. 
But, you know, and I think you probably want, especially at secondary level, to be using a tool like that for assignment turn-in. But Dropbox lets students uh, send you a link instead of sending you a file, right? So instead of having, you know, their whatever megabyte PowerPoint, they can be turning in a link that goes to their Dropbox. Um, Dropbox is free. Your students can sign up to, to get them. And one of the websites that I mentioned that I just learned about at that Phoenix conference is called Send to Dropbox. So you can even have students, you know, using email, sending things to your Dropbox using this. So this is a, a website that you go to. It's sendtodropbox.com, and it connects your Dropbox and gives you email addresses to be able to use. So students, if you're doing an Egypt project and all your kids are doing a PowerPoint about Egypt, then they could email it in to the Egypt folder. Or you could have your second period class email you know, it into the, the folder. So Dropbox is something that I think everybody can, can utilize. Um, we've probably all gotten an email in the past that's been like really big. Like they sent us 20 pictures and they were not compressed. And, you know, remember the modem? Remember how it used to sound when it would, you know, it was a bigger deal back then. But even now with high-speed connections, some people will send us too much and you can use Dropbox as a way to send a link instead of sending a file. Question or comment? I did. Um, something was questioned me before is the um, security. Do you want to keep personal stuff out of that kind of thing? Such as, you know, who your friends are or, or your family members or whatever. Well, I mean, it is a really important question about what are we going to share online and where are we going to put our stuff. There's a couple of issues there. There's a confidentiality, privacy issue about what am I going to share, you know, about my family. And years ago, I was much more paranoid than I am now, and I wouldn't share any pictures or videos of my family online. Um, you know, it's true that I, that I and many other people could, would, could be open if somebody wanted to stalk or wanted to, you know, do something with images and photographs. Um, it's not true that as soon as you share a photograph like of your kid's poetry, they're kidnapped. I mean, that, that's not happening in the country. There are kidnappings of kids and stuff. But anyway, there's that whole privacy issue of how much do I want to disclose. There's the other issue of my personal information. Is it going to be safe? Is it going to be compromised? And, you know, it, it, it can happen. We've had that happen with Medical records, I think the Veterans Administration, I've, you know, read articles where the laptop gets, you know, captured or whatever, and they get social security numbers and things like that. <clears throat> so, um, you know, is it safe? Well, it may, for sure, have a, have a good password, okay? Don't use a simple password on any of these accounts. And they recommend having a different password for different accounts. I just recommend you navigate that as you can. But, I mean, if you're using FIDO and that's your password for everything, um, that's, that's not good. You know, try and have a more, a more complex password to protect your stuff. So we can't guarantee the security of anything. Um, but the companies are definitely doing all they can to try and make it safe so that we will invest in the cloud because they don't want a perception of, oh, no, I can't put anything in the cloud. It's not safe because so much of you know, business and commerce now is moving into this arena. So they are trying to make that safe and secure. Um, last one that I'll share is Evernote. And Evernote is a note 
taking and saving tool. So just like um, I think Deanna was talking about her books that she's getting on Kindle, she can have on her laptop in the free Kindle app for her computer. She has it on a phone. She has it on an iPad. My favorite example to show is Evernote. I really like fried chicken a lot. And so I'm going to... Um, come here to the to my Evernote account and um, I have an app. I can also log in on the website. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to sign in and put the word chicken in and search for it because I always ask people where the best fried chicken is. We actually went to Aishan's this weekend and we hadn't been for like two years. Okay, so. Over time, I've said the Frenchie's fried chicken in St. Louis was great. I have, has anybody eaten a Bobo's fried chicken here? In OKC, I still have it. Memphis, Gus's world famous fried chicken. Okay, if I'm ever in Arkansas, in Springdale, it's supposed to be AQ Chicken House. Uh, what is, what's the big, the big deal about that? Well, I have 762 notes in my account, but I can immediately put in the word chicken and access the notes. Now, not all of those are chicken restaurants, but um, it's searchable. Okay, very, very powerful to be able to save a note and then be able to access it on multiple devices. Get it on my phone when I need it, right? Because this is the device that's with me almost all the time. Be able to get it on my computer, you know, be able to share. So Evernote, you do not have to have an iPad or any kind of tablet, mobile device at all. You can just go to the website and use it. But it is cloud-based note-taking. And it allows you to have your notes, number one, backed up. Because if my phone, you know, gets flushed in the toilet or, you know, broken or stolen, my notes are not just here. They're saved in the cloud. And it also allows me to be able to access at different places. So if you're looking for a place to start, Wes, you just showed too many things. I don't know what to do. I would just start with Evernote. Go to Evernote.com. You can register for free. And you can save some notes there. If you have a phone, the app is free. It's free for Android. It's free for iPhone. Um, and you can also have it on your desktop, and you can, you know, put some notes. We're all, we are all taking notes, you know, at different times, saving things. And I think it is a very, very practical, you know, tool to be able to. Our kids just need an iPad with Evernote. They can take all of them. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so it is going to be really interesting how we navigate that bring-your-own-device challenge. Because at one level, I think that can be a cop-out. I think we can say, oh, we're just going to let the kids do that. Well, is that what we do as a society with public ed? We say, oh, parents, you're just going to provide instructional materials. You guys buy the textbook. No, we don't say that. We define what is an adequate education. Texas had this debate. We need to have it here in Oklahoma. And at some point, you know, it's like, what is an adequate education? A mobile learning device that not only lets me access content, it lets me create it and share it. And I think we're getting closer to that. My fear is that we're going, we're on a road where <clears throat> folks in the government want us to go one-to-one for testing. They want to test us even more and, you know, funnel lots of money into the corporations. And maybe I should turn off our reporter to hear that here. But um, I'm really concerned because I don't think the right reason to go one-to-one is for more online testing. And that's what we heard Thursday and Friday downtown at this thing was that that's, that's why we all need well, I think the big, big component that's going to go with a lot of this is just the digital citizenship that needs to go with it. Because I thought I, I went to my big terms training and I was so excited about it. And so I got my kids on and we, I, you know, I was trying to log them in and trying to figure 
they knew more about, I mean, they were instantly on the chat. I didn't even know there was a chat. And so then I was like, they were calling each other all this stuff. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this was available. So I was having to shut that down. And, and it was just a whole, I mean, it was a deflator because it was like, this could be so great. And yet, I mean, they knew things that I didn't even I felt stupid. I mean, yeah. So I've got to do more training. And, and so and we've also got to bring the kids in to help us navigate this and to make it successful, right? And, and there are responsibilities that go with it. And when we introduce a new tool, it's critical that they understand, look, we're trying this and we're going to see if this works. But unfortunately, in, in, diff- yeah, in, different, in some circumstances, I mean, it's, it's always easier to run a prison than a school. Sometimes... Um, Sometimes if we haven't given kids a lot of freedom, it just depends on the culture that we create in our classroom and that environment because they can use, these are incredible tools. Why? Because they're capable of tremendous abuse. Okay, tremendous abuse. So if we're going to use these, there's responsibilities that go with it, and that's your digital citizenship point. And it's also a point of where we've got to collaborate and work together because none of us want to be introducing something to kids and then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, it blows up. So I mean, that would be a good thing for us to visit about, like, what were your lessons learned, and how would you recommend, and can we turn off the, you know, things? Because if, because if you've got a set of check boxes, and all we're going to introduce today is the assignment page, you know, yeah. anyway, those are important yeah, things for us to. Know that they know more about things than I do. I mean, they they were like, oh my gosh, this is Facebook for kids, and they were like, they, I mean, I didn't know there was a chat feature on there, and they were on. And it just makes. Well, that's the language that they have learned. For us, it's the second language. For them, that's yeah. the first language. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah they don't have my And as we build capacity, not only for ourselves, but also for our kids, you know, navigating these different tools and these different resources. I mean, we've got to, this is why I'm, you know, this is my last slide. Collaboration is the key. We've got to find ways to use these tools constructively to hold each other accountable. And our kids have to understand they're going to be accountable. I mean, just like they are in the face-to-face world, they're going to be held accountable for what they do virtually. Um, and it's very challenging because traditionally speaking, this is why we have raised stages and platforms. Have you been to university classrooms like that, you know, where, I mean, it's about, well, but broadcasting the knowledge, right? The knowledge is up here and you shall receive the knowledge, you know. I mean, it very tangibly communicates that idea. And we still have lots of important knowledge and wisdom to share, but there's a lot of knowledge that resides out Side. And we've got more choices than ever about what we do, and there's visible ways. Kids have been off task forever, right? But with the screen and the ability to chat and to text and to share, you know, it's in some ways maybe more in our face than it was when we were just doodling on a, on a you know, piece of paper and passing that to the person beside us. So thank you all for coming. I hope this has been helpful, and I hope you'll share some of what you learned, and we'll just continue running together because that's where we're at.